This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As people across the country prepare for the Queen's funeral on Monday, there's been a lot of talk about what the monarch meant to Britons. But what about the connection she had with America? I spoke to former senior advisor to Bill and Hillary Clinton, Sidney Blumenthal, about how the relationship between the royal family and US presidents progressed during her long reign. I'm Jonathan Friedland, columnist at The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly America. I was in my house in um, Upper Georgetown in Washington, D.C., and the news flashed on my TV screen, and I immediately rushed upstairs to tell my wife. Sidney Blumenthal is a journalist and historian, author of a biography of Abraham Lincoln. I turned to him to know more about that special relationship between the monarch and the White House. I think Queen Elizabeth is the monarch that Americans have known almost in the entire period since the end of the Second World War, in which the United States and Britain were the closest of allies, which led to what is called the special relationship and has had, of course, its ups and downs. And for Americans, the end of colonialism also ended the association of Queen Elizabeth with the colonial project that first began unraveling with the American Revolution. So she is seen as removed from that negative legacy and associated with the positive legacy of alliance and the defeat of fascism, Nazism, and the long twilight struggle of the Cold War, which also ended on her watch. It's very interesting to hear you say all this, because one of my arguments that I've been making here about why the Queen exerts such a hold on the British imagination is that she was that last human link to the war. Uh, you know, there she was on the balcony with Winston Churchill on on victory in Europe day in 1945. What you're suggesting is that actually that the Second World War experience was central to her relationship with the United States as well. She carried that with her, and that was part of her charisma for Americans. For Americans, that was, you know, very much associated 
not with the long reign of the British Empire, but with the American century of the 20th century. She was very much part of the American century too, as well as reigning in Britain. It is striking that it is not a done deal that Britain and America, and particularly, you know, the monarch, the British monarch and um, the United States would be close. Uh, the Queen's father, George VI, perhaps this will astonish people, was the first reigning British sovereign to visit the United States. There hadn't been a visit from the founding of the country in 1776 all the way through to 1939. But so she did become then this figure thereafter that um, American politicians, it always seemed to me, kind of jostled to get close to. It always seemed to me that the pride of place would go to a picture of American politician with the Queen. Now, is that just sort of British bias on my part? Or would you say I'm reading that right? I think all the presidents looked upon her benignly and were eager to meet her and wished to be seen with her. And each of them had a different relationship. So their, their, their special relationships were all different. And uh, just going back to the history for a minute that you raised about the first visit of uh, King George to the United States, where President Roosevelt welcomed him to Hyde Park, uh, introduced him to the local townspeople and served American hot dogs to him. And he showed he was, the king showed he was a man of the people by eating the, uh, the meal with President Roosevelt that he served uh, and became very popular. And Roosevelt was trying very hard to do that because he wanted the United States to support Britain as he understood the rise of Nazism. So, uh, and that was a long way from the deep antipathy to Britain going back to the revolution when there was a boy who was slashed by the sword of a British soldier in his head and carried a deep scar in his skull. And that a boy during the revolution was named Andrew Jackson. So this is a very long and complicated uh, history. And Elizabeth uh, really smoothed over a good part of this. Andrew Jackson, of course, the seventh president of the United States. So let's just talk about some of those presidents. I mean, first of all, just she was, her reign spanned 14 American presidents. I think she met all but one of them, Lyndon Johnson. We'll come to him in a minute. But in terms of the relationship and looking at all, all of the different relationships she had with each of them, was this a bipartisan thing, first of all? Did, did Democrats want to get close to her as much as Republicans? Did this run in any way on party lines? There was no partisanship uh, towards Britain. Britain was always considered to be our close and special ally after World War II uh, in the Cold War. And the Queen was even above that. So the relationship sort of ebbed and flowed. I mean, the first president during her reign was uh, Harry Truman. She'd already met him as uh, uh, when she was a mere princess. It certainly is a very great pleasure for me as the president of the United States uh, to welcome you to the capital of our country. But the first president she actually met and uh, uh, and was hosted by and who she hosted was Dwight Eisenhower. And then this interesting generational shift because the Kennedys come soon after that. The crowds gathered to watch the arrival of President and Mrs. Kennedy. 
The first time a U.S. president was to call at Buckingham Palace since President Woodrow Wilson came here. And of course, JFK and Jackie Kennedy were much more her generation. The Crown, the famous TV series based on real events, suggested there was some sort of tension between the Queen and particularly Jackie Kennedy. Her Majesty. No curtsy. No curtsy. Mrs. Kennedy. What's the truth of that? Made great TV, but what's the historical truth of that? I don't know the truth of that. John F. Kennedy had a deep personal relationship with Britain. His father had been the ambassador. He had disgraced himself by his pro-Hitler inclinations and his view that Britain could not withstand the Nazi onslaught after the fall of France in 1940. President Roosevelt forced him out of office. Uh, But John F. Kennedy wrote a book called While England Slept, which was in a way of his separating himself from his uh, father's view. His sister, Kathleen Kennedy, had married the Duke of Devonshire. So he had a very complicated relationship with Britain. But the relationship didn't extend long because it was only a presidency of a thousand days. And followed, obviously, by Lyndon Johnson, who was the one president the Queen did not meet. And then it may, then obviously, Nixon gave, um, Lyndon Johnson gave way to Richard Nixon. And here, what's fascinating is almost in sort of something out of the Tudor period or something, there was talk of a kind of closeness that could merge almost into a merger, a dynastic alliance with the hope, so it is said, uh, that the Nixons tried to marry off their daughter, Tricia, to then Prince Charles, obviously now King Charles III. And the fact that this visit is a personal visit and not an official visit is an indication of the closeness of the relationship between uh, the United States and Great Britain and the British Commonwealth, and also between the family in this house and the family in London. I mean, that's an, an amazing idea that a royal and presidential family might get close to each other in that way. Does that seem bizarre to you? Or is that actually was something that could have been in Nixon's mind? Might have been in Nixon's mind. Um, he had many bizarre ideas um, <laughs> that he, Nixon, for all his appeal to the lower middle class and their resentments, which, pre, which was a precursor to Trumpism, also had uh, aspirations to grandeur. And uh, it would have extended to his daughter somehow marrying then Prince Charles. Instead, she married David Eisenhower. When we get into the 70s, there are a couple of episodes which have lived on in the memory because these were rare moments where the protocol sort of was a bit, you know, went a bit wrong with both Jimmy Carter and President Ford, two now looking back on it, really quite comic episodes. What can you tell us about those? <laughs> well, the Gerald Ford, who was actually uh, a man of intelligence, education, been to Yale, and an athlete, he'd been a football player, had developed a, a reputation as being awkward, um, not very bright, and uh, Uh, was ridiculed on Saturday Night Live as somebody who constantly tripped and fell down. I have called upon the networks tonight to make two pressing issues clear to the American public. 
<laughs> and when he met the queen, he did, in his own way, trip. And he tripped himself when he asked the queen, as the marine bands struck up the music, to dance with him to the song, The Lady is a Tramp. Is a tramp. Oh dear. <laughs> I don't think he was paying uh, close attention. It's a, um, needless to say, Frank Sinatra signature uh, tune, but he should have paid closer attention, and it was the equivalent of him falling down the stairs. So they were dancing together, but that was the tune, and it looked as if it was a bit of an insult to have that playing. Jimmy Carter then broke protocol in a rather different way, this time involving the Queen Mother. I don't know where Jimmy Carter got this idea, uh, the peanut farmer from Georgia, who had been the previous governor, to kiss the queen mother, of all people, on the lips. But uh, <laughs> I don't think it was received well, and it was not an advance that she sought. <laughs> yeah, the, the queen mother is reported to have said, he is the only man since my dear husband died to have had the effrontery to kiss me on the lips. It sounds like the kind of thing Queen Victoria might have said, um, but instead it was the queen mother. Somehow, obviously, the queen herself just had to soldier on through all of these. Um, there was There are photographs still of those very lavish parties where the queen was hosted and then in turn hosted Ronald Reagan. Your Majesty, I welcome you this evening on behalf of the American people. And in particular, Look, we all know he's genius for the photo op, for the, you know, for the moving image. And the Queen, it seemed to me, was the sort of ideal co-star for the ex-Hollywood actor Ronald Reagan. But there was also this great sort of, um, you know, chemistry between him and Margaret Thatcher at the same time. What about that relationship between the uh, Ronald Reagan and the Queen? Did that gel in your eyes? Well, I think there's nothing that Ronald Reagan would have liked more than to have appeared in a feature with the Queen. He played it to the hilt. You know, this is the, you know, the man who could never be the leading man on the screen for Warner Brothers, but became the leading man in politics as president. And here he was on the grandest stage with the ultimate leading lady. And he enjoyed it immensely. They both loved horses. I think that's crucial. I mean, the horse thing is massive with the Queen, to the point where I remember when George W. Bush was president, he appointed as his ambassador, William Farish, who knew the Queen from, he was from Kentucky, and I think they knew each other from the horse scene. And a lot of people thought that was a rather inspired move, because the one thing people knew about the Queen is she could really talk about horses. Well, horse ownership may have been dispositive in that ambassadorial appointment. Yeah. Uh, it would have been the first ambassadorial appointment that required a horse. <laughs> so that was um, back then. Now, this brings us, though, once we to after Reagan, to the man you worked for, Bill Clinton, uh, as president. And they obviously met each other while he was president, although it took a while. A while. I think it happened during those 50th anniversary commemoration celebrations for D-Day. We and our allies are sure that our fight is against evil and for a world in which goodness and honour may be the foundation of the life of men in every land. But the thing that interested me most was a really uh, striking line from Bill Clinton's memoir, because it's, it's well, I'll just say it to you, and you tell me what you think is behind it. He said, Her Majesty impressed me as someone who, but for the circumstance of her 
birth, might have become a successful politician or diplomat. As it was, she had to be both without quite seeming to be either. I think that's a very perceptive read of her job. What do you think was behind that insight of, that observation of, uh, uh, of former President Clinton's? Uh, Bill Clinton was a consummate politician who could recognize in others political qualities. And he recognized that the Queen had these qualities as a politician. And he saw that in the Queen. So it's interesting. He recognized, takes one to know one. He recognized a fellow politician when he saw one. His successor, George W. Bush, and the 9-11 event, whose anniversary we also just marked, gave rise to one of the most memorable lines uttered by the Queen through her 70-year reign. This rather brilliant condolence message where she said, grief is the price we pay for love, a phrase that's been repeated in the aftermath of her death and which has become a, a sort of consolation that people offer each other. But let's just get to the present after that, which is Barack Obama. There's been some speculation uh, that the Queen, obviously ever the diplomat, would never let on, but who might have been her favourite president? And I read that the only president that she ever invited back for a gathering after they left office was Barack Obama, along with his wife, Michelle. What do you make of that idea that of all the presidents she knew, the one she liked most was him? And why not? Ladies and gentlemen, please stand with me and raise your glasses as I propose a toast. Elegant, intelligent, you know, perfect gentleman. To Her Majesty the Queen. To the vitality of There the is a relationship here, and... It's a real unfolding of not simply the American dream, but a British idea of modernity uh, personified by Barack Obama. That didn't go without a hitch, that relationship. But in her own memoir, Michelle Obama wrote that she later discovered she had committed what she called an epic faux pas because she had placed her hand on the Queen's back and there were very strict rules about not touching uh, the Queen, according to Michelle Obama, the Queen appeared okay with it too, because when I touched her, she only pulled closer, resting a gloved hand lightly on the small of my back. So it didn't seem to do any trouble. Nevertheless, protocol breached with Obama's successor, Donald Trump, and a visit uh, he made in 2019 to Buckingham Palace during a state visit. Just tell us what happened there. I think people will remember the pictures, but why don't you describe to us what happened? Uh, here they are, the Queen and Donald Trump reviewing the Queen's Guard at Windsor Castle. And uh, Trump walks ahead of her, uh, leaves her behind him as he turns and smiles to the troops as if they are his and his guard. And the Queen, undoubtedly used to dealing with all sorts of egos <laughs> in her past, would have uh, recognized what she was dealing with here. It did seem to sort of capture something of the man. Of course, there is one last president meant to be mentioned, Joe Biden. The Queen did welcome Biden to Windsor Castle last June. So they did have that visit. But I think um, Biden never got to return the compliment by inviting her to the White House as president. Uh, all told then, this um, relationship, she managed it with this succession, this pageant, a procession of presidents going all the way back incredibly to Harry Truman. There's now a new man in that job, King Charles III. 
some of the relationship will be obviously just comes with the territory, but there is of a personal dimension to it too. From what you know of him, from what you've seen of him, what do you think he will make, and American politics will make of his relationship with those people who occupy the Oval Office? Well, the first president he will meet, and he will meet this president soon when President Biden uh, comes over for the Queen's funeral. And this will be the first uh, meeting of King Charles with an American president. And um, Joe Biden and uh, King Charles are um, not that far in age from each other. Charles is younger than Biden as an American president, but they'll share a lot in common and they'll uh, have a kind of uh, closeness. Uh, And Biden will be uh, very open and Biden will carry uh, with him to the new king a sense of continuity in the relationship between the US and the UK and also between American presidents and the British monarch. I was wondering for Charles if a problem he might have is that Americans got pretty wrapped up in the Diana Wars, as they were, played out in the 90s. And I think it's fair to say mainly sided with Diana against Charles. Similarly, uh, Americans well disposed to Meghan. She too is an American. And again, Charles is on the opposite side of that divide. Does he have a big PR problem in making Americans love him the way they loved his mother? Charles is seen as um, more in the middle of that mess than uh, the Queen was because after all, it was his marriage. And the Harry Meghan imbroglio is really an extension of it. Charles extended an olive branch to Harry in his statement. I want also to express my love for Harry and Meghan as they continue to build their lives overseas. Remains to be seen what Harry and Meghan want to do. And it was the queen who cast him out and forced him to make a decision. So there's a continuing soap opera and a uh, another episode of The Crown to be seen. And The Crown has indeed paused filming, marking the death of Queen Elizabeth. Lastly, how important is it for the diplomacy and the relationship between these two countries that there is a good relationship between the American president and presidents to come and the monarch? The U.S.-U.K. relationship remains essential in an era of great uncertainty when there's a land war in Europe, when the European Union and the U.K. have uncertain relations, when the United States faces um, the rise of China and the chaos caused by Putin and Russia. The UK remains, despite all, our solid ally. And so the relationship between an American president and the British monarch and the crown is very much intrinsic to this alliance, to this relationship going forward in a new century. Sidney Blumenthal, author, historian, former senior advisor to both Bill and Hillary Clinton. Thanks so much for joining me on Politics Weekly America. Thanks, Johnny. 
And that is all from me for now. Make sure to listen to Today in Focus for all the latest coverage of the impact of the death of the Queen, as well as heading to theguardian.com. But for now, it's goodbye. The producer is Danielle Stevens, the executive producer, Maz Ebtahaj. I'm Jonathan Friedland, and thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.